Well, I just want to say I'm super excited about being here tonight. I think one of my favorite things about being asked to teach tonight was that I'm one of you. Uh, I saw, for those of you who don't know, I lead a community uh, for this um, 710 community, and I lead it on Thursday nights, and one of my favorite parts of the week is being able to hang out with people my own age and do life with them and talk about Jesus and help others um, and, and learn from others and just serve one another in following Jesus. So I'm just super excited to uh, be here tonight. For those of you who don't know me, I know I know a lot of you in the room, but for those of you who uh, don't know me very well, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, first and foremost, I got married seven months ago to my wife, Crystal. So, newly married. Um, I graduated from a GCU. At GCU is where I met Connor, and um, I met a lot of my closest friends that I have even to this day. Um, I've been on staff full-time with Redemption since, actually, a year ago today was when I got hired on full-time staff. So, be able to teach to you guys on the one-year mark of being with you is just something I'm super excited about. Actually, I want to make one more plug, and it's for the retreat this weekend. So, I can't remember. This might be my fifth retreat. It's either my fourth or fifth retreat, but something I will say is I haven't, um, up until my first retreat, I really didn't know that many people from 710, so I'm kind of speaking to you who would say, I'm not that connected to this community. Like, I, I show up, but I don't really know that many people. I would say my first retreat is, really, is the first time that I really felt, like, connected to this community, and I met some of my best friends, and I really felt like I knew Paul and some of the other guys who were leading this. So, um, with that being said, I'm excited to speak to you tonight. Do you guys mind joining me in prayer, and then we'll get into the message? Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, today. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to teach. God, I love everyone in this room, and I know some stories of people in here, but I don't know everyone's story. But God, I know that you do, and God, I know that you want to show your love to your people tonight, and I know that you want to equip them. So I pray that you would use me to do that. God, I pray that you would remove distractions from in the room. Um, Jesus, I pray first and foremost that you would be made much of um, tonight. So it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So to start tonight, I, I want to share a question I ask myself quite often as a Jesus follower. And maybe you can relate with me, maybe you can't. But as a Jesus follower, a lot of times I ask myself this question, and it's, what does Jesus want from me? And I know the Bible speaks a lot about what God wants from uh, his people, but I know that Jesus loves me personally, and he knows everything about my marriage. He knows how I'm leading my small group. He knows how I'm doing at work. He knows my anxieties and my struggles. And I, sometimes I just wonder, I'm like, what would Jesus say to me if he showed up to me right now? And I think that's a really important question that you should ask as a Christian. But I also think it's important to ask that question collectively of us. So for those of us who are in this room who are Christian, and would call 710 your community, I wonder what God would say his one desire of us would be. Like if Jesus were to show up to us tonight, and he's like, I really want the 710 community to know, or I want them to know this, what would it be? And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 17. Um, we're going to spend some time, with there, some time there tonight. One of, the, one of the interesting things that I find about the book of John is that it's kind of a documentary about Jesus' life. And so it, it goes through all sorts of different stories about Jesus. It talks about why he came. It talks about the things that he said and the things that he did. But one of the interesting things about the book is that John takes five chapters 
of his gospel, and he, he, he takes time to talk about what Jesus did the night before he was crucified, or also known as the Last Supper. And not only does he take five chapters to actually talk about that, but he actually records for us a prayer that Jesus prays that night. And, the, and it's not even that interesting enough that Jesus prays and we have his words, but one of the things that it just, I couldn't get out of my mind was the fact that John records for us that Jesus actually prays for us, like here today in this room, the night before he was crucified. So if you have your uh, Bibles, turn to John 17. And I think if we look at this prayer, we might be able to actually answer that question of what Jesus' desire for us would be tonight. So in the first part of the prayer, Jesus um, spent some time praying to his Father. He prays for himself. And then the second part of the prayer, he actually spends some time praying for uh, his disciples. And then in the third part of the prayer, starting in verse 20, Jesus pivots and he, he, he says this. He says, Father, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Which, by the way, isn't it amazing that some of us are sitting in, sitting in this room because we've heard a message about Jesus and that message has carried on 2,000 years ago and here we are. And so this is what he prays for us. He says, I pray that all of them, in verse 21, may be one. And he says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. And then he says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then he goes on and he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. And this is the key phrase that we're going to sit on tonight. He says, so that they may be brought to what? Complete unity. And then he says again, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. One of the interesting things that I find about this prayer of Jesus is Jesus literally could have prayed anything that night for us. Like he could have prayed for our temptations. He could have said, Father, I pray that you would help them to say no to temptation. He could have prayed for our faithfulness. He could have prayed for us in our suffering that we would persevere. But he doesn't pray for any of those things. And it's not necessarily that Jesus doesn't care about those things. But the one thing he decides to pray is that we would be unified. And that we'd be so unified that we would be one. And so about six months ago, Paul asked me to teach on Christian community tonight. And the reason that I felt like God was leading me to this passage is because I really believe that the way we express the unity that Jesus prays we would have is in the context and in the places of our Christian friendships and circles. And so I don't know, I don't know what that looks like for you. It could be a small group that you're a part of. It could just be a Christian circle of friends that you know. Or honestly, tonight is even an expression of that. But it's, it, I want you to, as you listen to this message tonight, it's in those places, in your Christian friendships, that you can express the unity that Jesus prays you would have. And my goal for you and my goal for me, and honestly, the goal for us together, is that together we would be able to take steps towards the unity that Jesus prays we would have. Um, so before we get into the message, I want to just make one observation about unity. And it's that unity can be good or it can be bad. Um, if any of you, have any of you been watching the, um, coll not college playoffs, the NFL playoffs lately? Two of you, great. This is going to be good. <laughs> well, anyways, you you'll get the point of what I'm trying to say. So on a Sunday, the Ravens played uh, the Chargers, and they played at, uh, in Baltimore. So it was a home game for the Ravens, and uh, the Chargers pretty much whooped up on the Ravens. And one of the things, I read an article on the game, and it said 
the fans got so heated, and, and, the, and the Baltimore fans were so mad that they were losing that they went over to a Chargers player, and they just started, like, one of the guys started beating the snot out of somebody. And to make, and that wasn't even bad enough. It was just one guy, you're like, okay, if it was just one guy, that's something. But they said that the Ravens fans, some of them who ran were just like, like rooting them on, like, like beat the crap out of them. And I was just like, geez. And that's really, and honestly, that's an extreme way. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and here's the thing. That's an extreme example to make a really simple point, that unity can be good if it's a, a unity around something good. But unity can also be bad if it's a unity around something bad. And so obviously that was a bad expression of unity. And, and the point that I'm trying to make is that just because you have close friends who are Christian doesn't necessarily mean you have the unity that Jesus prays you would have. And I really I want to make that point. Just because you have Christian friends and you hang out with one another, that doesn't necessarily mean you have the unity that Jesus prays you would have. Um, in high school... I, uh, I, so I went to Valley Christian High School, and some of my best friends that I had during that time were my friends from high school. We did, like, we did everything together. We played sports together. We, uh, we would hang out on the weekends together. We would do everything that you would expect us to do in high school. And everything, all of us, we claim to be Christian, and maybe you can tell me if this is your experience sometimes in Christian community. We all claim to be Christian, but we never really like, did any Christian stuff together. Like, we, we wouldn't really talk about Jesus. Like, we would never really pray for one another. Like, talking about our struggles wasn't something that we did. And it just felt like something was missing for me. And uh, it took me a long time to figure that out. But I realized that my experience in high school was that the Christian unity that I was experiencing wasn't the, the unity that Jesus wanted me to have. And so the, what I want to get at is that our unity can only be good if it is a unity around what Jesus wants, okay? So our unity can only be good if it's a unity around what Jesus wants. And I, what I want to do tonight is I want to show you how we can have that unity. So the question is, what, what, would, what would we have to unify around in our Christian friendships, in our small groups, in our relationships to make our unity something that's pleasing to God, like, have you ever thought of, like, what, would we, what, what, what type of unity would we have to have to make our unity pleasing to God? And if you kind of want, like, a one-sentence summary of what I want to try to communicate to you tonight, it's this. It's that Jesus wants us to unify around the identity that he has given us by loving one another for the sake of the world. I'll say that one more time. Jesus wants us to unify around the identity that he has given us by loving one another for the sake of the world. So let's talk about our identity. Like, who, who are we as Christians? Well, the Bible, you guys know, has many different ways of talking about who we are as God's people. Um, it says that we're citizens of a new kingdom, right? So the gospel is that Jesus is bringing his reign to earth and that eventually the whole earth will be his kingdom. And the Bible will say, like, if you're a Jesus follower, then you're a citizen of that kingdom, the, the Apostle, Ball, uh, Apostle, Ball, Apostle Paul, <laughs> he talks about us being a body and that we're all the body of Christ we're all different and unique in our own way, but we're, we're, but we're part of one body. But I really think there's a different way of talking about our identity that I really want us to understand tonight, and, and it's this. It's that we're loved children in God's family. And I really, I really want you to think about that. Like, we're loved children in God's family. Um, in Galatians 3.26, um, the Apostle Paul says this, and it'll be on the screen. It says, So in Christ Jesus... 
you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then chapter 4, verse 4, he says this in the same passage. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, his own son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. In other words, he sent his son so that we might be adopted into God's family. And then he says this. He says, because you are his sons, or in other words, because you are his sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And then he says this. He says, so you are no longer a slave, but you're God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And there it is. Like, we're, we're loved children in God's family. This is actually really interesting. Did you know that when the New Testament writers are writing to churches, um, oftentimes, I don't know if you catch it, but this theme of us being a family is all over the New Testament. It says that um, the phrase brothers and sisters, they'll say brothers and sisters, and they'll say something. That phrase occurs 130 times in the New Testament. One of the other things that I find really interesting is that in, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, where Jesus' prayer is recorded, Jesus, Jesus calls, his, calls God his Father over a hundred times. Think about that. In, in one book, Jesus calls God his Father over a hundred times. And one of the ways that I, I was, when I was processing that and kind of thinking about who we are as God's people, is like the Galatians passage, what Paul was trying to say is God has sent his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, into our hearts. And now from our hearts, God's spirit cries, Abba, Father. And Jesus, if you look at him in the Gospels, here's another way to look at him. Jesus is showing us what it means to be a child of God's family. Like Jesus actually shows us what it means to be a child in God's family. He shows us what it looks like. So at the end of the day, like, if you think about it, like when you go to your small group, if you, if you actually think about this, sometimes when I go to my small group, I like to remind myself, I'm like, I'm actually meeting up with my real family. Like I'm actually part of a new family. As much as I'm part of my family that I was actually born into this world, I'm just as much a part of this family. Like we're, part, we're children of God our Father and we're, we're actually siblings. If, uh, if you knew me in college very well at all, especially freshman year of college, you would know that I, or honestly, if you just spend any time with me, you know that I really, really love my family. Um, my freshman year of college, I went to GCU, like I said, and um, so I would go to school during the week, and every single weekend, and my, my friends would actually end up teasing me, I'd go home to hang out with my family. And it was just like super lame college experience, by the way. <laughs> so I, I would go to college, and I'd go home on the weekend because I, I just wanted to be with my family. And honestly, now that I'm, I'm married, I love the fact that I get to have a family with my wife now someday, and I get to learn what it's like to belong to a family, that I have kids someday, hopefully. And then, I, and it made me ask this question, and, um, and maybe you can kind of reflect on it too, is like, why do I love being a part of my family so much? Like, why, why would I want to leave friends at school to go and hang out with people that, or my family that's at home? And I, I think the reason that I, I love being a part of my family so much, and I love being a part of family, is I, there's, a, there's a desire in me that I, I just, I need to belong. Like, I really, 
wanted to know that I belong to something that would give me value, that would give me worth. And honestly, I, think, I don't think that's a, an experience that's just unique to me. I think all of us have different families that we've grown up with. I think some of us have had families that have been dysfunctional. And there's been a lot of brokenness. But even if you're not a Christian in the room, you can probably acknowledge that there's, there is a desire in us to belong. And I think the reason why it's so important for you to know that you're a loved child in God's family is because underneath that desire to belong is a desire and honestly, I think a created need for us as people to be valued, loved, and accepted by others. Like I really do think that God has put it in us that we need to be valued, we need to be loved, and we need to be accepted by others. So just think about relationships for a second. Not a dating relationship, but think of any relationship. If you're, if you're like me, and if you kind of pay attention to yourself, you probably play this game where you're promoting to others the best part of yourselves, and you're always trying to hide the worst, right? So I think about, like, social media. Like, people always want to promote the best part of their lives, and so that others can look on it and be impressed, right? And then we're always trying to hide, or at least if we're not going to hide, and we'll be honest about it, we'll kind of, like, make it sound not as bad as it actually is. And I think, for me at least, that game creates a lot of anxiety in relationship, if you think about it. Like, because you're always moving in and out of anxiety. Because depending on whether or not you're receiving the love and the acceptance and the self-worth that you really want is determining whether or not you're at peace or you're anxious or insecure and you're fearful. But one of the things that I really want to highlight and I want to share with some of you tonight is that if you're a Christian, like if you love Jesus... Think about it for a second. That he says, you're a child of the living God. Like, you're, you're a child of the living God. And, and not only are you just a child of the living God, but you're a child of God and he loves you. And not only does he just love you, but he loves you at your worst. Like, we always play this game with people where we're like, hey, I don't really want them to know this bad stuff about me. But, but God's saying, no, like, I know all the bad stuff. And I really, really love you. In our passage tonight, I don't know if you caught it, in John 17, 23, it says that Jesus acknowledges that the, his Father's love for us is, is the same love that he shows Jesus himself. He, he says, um, you have loved them even as you have loved me. Like, that word literally means just as or to the same degree that. Like, God loves you. He really, really loves you. And all the acceptance and all the love and all the self-worth that you need is found in him. And I, I'm telling you, I don't care who you are in the room, I know that's something that everyone wants. Like, you may not acknowledge Jesus, you may not even believe who he said he was, and that's okay. But to be loved and to be valued, even by somebody who knows the ugly parts of you, is something that everyone wants. And honestly, that's one of the reasons I love marriage, is because... In dating, I could be pretty good at hiding, you know, like the parts about me that weren't that great. But when you get married to somebody, you, the hiding eventually, like, kind of goes away. And you just, you get used to dating, and also they just, they just see all the ugliness. And one of the things that my wife has so graciously <laughs> given me is a love even in my imperfection. And it really reminds me of Jesus' love and the love that I'm sharing with you right now. So, at the end of the day, God enjoys having you in his family. Like, he enjoys having you in his family. Jesus actually takes pleasure in you. Like, Jesus likes you. I think sometimes love is so thrown around in our culture um, that it can be easy to, um, like, it, you don't feel the weight of it. But Jesus really does like you. <laughs> he loves you. Um, 
okay, so if this is the identity that God has given us, that we're children in God's family, we're loved, we're dearly prized, what does it look like to unify around that identity? All right, what does it look like to unify around the identity that God has given us? And this is what I, this is what I wanna say. It, we have to learn to live in the new family dynamic that we've been born into. So um, every family has a dynamic, every family has a culture, and every family has a unique way of doing things. So even if you just think about your own family for a second, the, the family you were born into has shaped you to be in some way the person that you are today, right? And so growing up, I remember my brother and I used to hear things from my parents, and they would say things like, hey, Corey and Casey, in this family we fill in the blank, or in this family we don't fill in the blank. So I played a lot of sports growing up, and my dad would say things to me. He's like, hey, Corey, like, I don't care if you strike out again. <laughs> I don't care if you miss another shot. But one thing that you have to do is you have to give 110%. Like, that's what the, that he'd say, you want to represent the Casperson name well, you need to give 110%. And there's, this another, there's another memory that I have, and it really just goes to show how much I'm shaped by the family that I've been born into. But in um, Seattle, I used to live in Seattle, Washington, and we used to go to a church called the City Church. And every single Sunday, my dad would pull into church, and my brother would be able to tell you about this too, and he'd pull out a bag of change, and he'd give money to me, and then he'd give money to my brother, and he'd say, guys, like, in this family, we're generous to others because God has given us so much. Like, he would say, like, no matter how much you get, you always give. God, God is blessed, so that's what we do. So as a 22-year-old man, I, uh, something I value to this day is hard work and generosity. It's because it's the culture I was raised in. My family has taught me that this is, how, this is what it means to be a Casperson. And the reason I say that is because the Bible honestly has the exact same way of thinking about God's family. So if you have your Bibles, you, or you look at it on the screen, you don't have to turn in there, but in 1 Peter uh, 1, verses 22 through 23, um, I'll read it to you. He says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, he, this is what he says. He gives this command. He says, Love one another deeply from the heart. And then he says this, For you have been born again. What he's saying there is that he's saying, Love one another deeply from the heart because you've been born again. In other words, what Peter is saying is, is when you came into this world, Everyone came into this world at some point, and you were born into a specific family. But if you're a Christian, then you've been born again by God's spirit into God's family, and his family dynamic and culture is to be characterized and permeated with love, because our Father himself is love. So in other words, God is saying through Peter, in this family, we love one another. And in the same love that I've shown you through my son Jesus is to be the same love that you show all people, especially your brothers and sisters, and including those who are difficult. One of the things that I, um, I honestly can get caught up in sometimes is I think, like, oh, I'm a loving person because, you know, I love those who I really like to love, you know? But one of the things that I, reading Jesus, and honestly, he really challenged me, is Jesus in Luke 6, he says something to the effect of, and he says, what benefit is it if you love those who love you? Like, what benefit, it, what benefit is it if you love those who love you? And he says, the, the, even the Gentiles do that. 
And what he's saying is everyone loves those that they like. Everybody loves those that it's easy to love. But one of the things that sets God's family apart from everything else is that it's a love not just for the people you like. It includes that. But it's a love for your brothers and sisters that you don't like. And we can just be honest. There's people that we don't like. You know, there's people that are it's just difficult to love when you hear their name and you know that you're going to have coffee with them or do something. It's just like, oh, man, this is, might be difficult. But love in God's family includes love for those types of people. And not only is it just love for people you may not even like, but it's a love for your enemies, right? So sometimes I wonder, is like, how is God's family actually going to be different from the world? Because sometimes we feel like in a, in a world that's just like, just love and do whatever you want, you know? It's like, I really think what sets, what's going to set our, our family apart from anyone else is a love, a radical love for those you wouldn't prefer to love, and, and here's, here's, I want to get back to Jesus' prayer, and this is how it all connects. So here's what's so important about love and how it connects to Jesus' prayer. And I want to, and this is, this is my argument, is that when we as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, adopted into God's family, when we relate to one another through love, unity, the unity that Jesus prays for will start to blossom in our family because the outcome of love is unity. And I'll say that one more time because it's really important. When we understand our identity as children in God's family, as siblings of one another, and when, when we obey Jesus by loving one another, loving those who are difficult, loving those we don't feel like it, and loving those that we do love, unity will then start to blossom in our family because the outcome of love is unity. And honestly, that's why the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3.2, you can look on the screen if this one's there, he says... Um, I'll just read it. Colossians 2, 2, excuse me. He says, my goal, here, there it is. All right, everyone look at this. He says, my goal is that they, that these Christians that he's talking about, may be encouraged in heart, in what? United how? In love. That's the thing. The only way to reach the unity that Jesus prays that we would have is by loving one another. Like, there's not another option. And so if that's true, maybe there's some questions that we should just sit on for a second and just ask yourself, if, you're, if, if being a part of God's family and being in, in that family is to love one another, would you say that you're known as a person who loves others? And I'll just let you think about that for a second. Like, what others say about you, like, when they hear your name, they're like, oh, yeah, that's a, that, that person is a, is a loving person. And not only would they say you're a loving person, but would they say, I see that person intentionally love those, those who are difficult. And I think you can ask that question individually, but I also want to ask this about maybe your small group or think of whatever version of Christian community that you have. Would you say that your small group or Christian community reflects the unity that comes from love? And here's the thing. One of the other points I want to make is that loving others isn't just another way to love God, but it is the way we love God and we show to be a part of his family. 1 John 4, uh, 20 through 21, it says this. It says, look at this. And notice the family language that I've been talking about this whole time. He says, if someone says, I love God, but hates their brother or sister, that person is a liar. Someone who doesn't love a brother or sister whom they have seen, how can they love God whom they haven't seen? 
This is the command we have from him, that is Jesus. Anyone who loves God should love their brother or sister too. And this is kind of honestly a point where I really want to challenge us in the room, that loving God apart from loving others isn't a category that exists in the Bible. I think, uh, and honestly, that was something that was really challenging for me because I, I was like, oh, I show my love for God by like how many quiet times I have or how many prayer walks I go on or how many I do all these things. And I do think those are ways that we do show that we love God. But it's pretty clear from the Bible that you, that you can't say you love God if you don't love your neighbor. Like, when, have you noticed when, the, um, when people came up to Jesus and they say, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, what? To love God and love your neighbor. The greatest singular commandment is to love God and love your neighbor. It's one and the same thing. And so I know that I've, t- I've, t- I've talked a lot about like, unity. I've talked about the way that we unify is by understanding our identity as God's people, as a family. And that in God's family, we learn to love one another. And that when we love one another, unity will blossom in our family. And I really wanted it tonight is I want to give you practical ways that you can love others in God's family. So I'm going to give you three practical ways to love others in God's family. So think right now, like, okay, who are the Christians in my life? Who do I do life with? Or who do I try to follow Jesus with? And kind of think through how can I love those in, in God's family? And I want to give you three ways to do that. And the first way that you can love others or love your siblings in God's family is that in this family, we love one another by praying for one another. Ephesians 6.18 says this. It says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Um, I'm gonna, I'll confess right now a weakness that I have in my walk with Jesus. And maybe you can relate with this because this is something that um, I see often and I, it's, it's my experience too. Have you noticed that sometimes for Christians it's really awkward when you're like outside of a Bible study to like actually pray for one another with one another? Like I, I've caught myself doing that a lot of times. Like, you know, like there's a group of us, like we're having fun, you know, we're at dinner getting burgers or something and then someone actually voices like that they have a need. Or, like, I really need God to provide for me in some way. And, and, and I do this thing, it's like, well, sorry, that sounds really hard. I'll pray for you. <laughs> and I'm just like, and sometimes, I don't, I don't know why, maybe it's because I just feel awkward or it look weird or out of place. But I started to think about it. I'm like, if we're actually a family, that shouldn't be weird at all. You know? And the reason why I think praying for others is so important is that because prayer accomplishes for others what we can't do ourselves. Like, prayer accomplishes for others what we can't do ourselves. Because honestly, what will end up happening in those times is we say, hey, I'll pray for you. And then normally we would never actually end up praying for them. Or we, like, offer up, like, some half-hearted prayer to God and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, just help them. They're great. But I really think that, like, intentional, like, laboring for others in prayer is something that actually accomplishes things for others. I have one small story to share kind of recently how, how this worked in uh, my life and some of my friends. Um, so every now and then some of the guys that I know will get together and we'll just kind of talk about life, talk about how we're doing at loving people. And um, one of my uh, friends, he said that he wanted to connect more with his wife spiritually. I was like, totally get it. That's something that 
you know, Crystal and I are working on, it's like, we're so used to have, you know, like, I have my relationship with Jesus, she had hers, and now we're married, and we're one, and so now we're learning to, like, together pursue Jesus. I was like, oh, that's great. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll pray for it, and we actually prayed for it there which, for once, which was nice. And so I went, I went home, and I made a prayer card for this person, and I said, um, I said, God, I pray for this couple, and I pray that they would connect more spiritually. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to be more specific and just see what God does. And I said, I, I, I pray that they would develop some sort of pattern that they could start to continually connect with one another. And so about a week later, I was hanging out with this person again. I was like, hey, how's it going uh, with your wife? And he was like, you know, things are actually pretty good. We're, we're, uh, we're spending time with each other. We're having conversations that are really great. He's like, but I've noticed that um, I feel like we just need to develop some sort of like pattern to, uh, to like kind of like make it more of a normal thing. I was like, oh, interesting that you would pray that. <laughs> and so I didn't want to say anything because I was like, I wonder what God's going to do with this. And so I go home and I pray and it was like maybe two weeks later, we were just casually talking. I didn't even necessarily ask him how that was specifically going. And he goes, oh, by the way, I, um, I ordered a study that me and my wife are going to weekly go through together, and it's some sort of pattern that we're going to do. And I was just like, it's like God actually shows up when we pray for one another. And one of the ways that we can love one another is by praying. Like, prayer actually does things. All right, number two. First one was pray for one another. Second one, in this family, we love one another by serving one another, right? All right, so First Peter 4.10 says this. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Um, sometimes I, I try to imagine a person that, like I imagine a person who entered every place that they went, every conversation that they had, and in every relationship that they had, asking the question, how can I serve you? Like, I would want to be that person's friend. I also want to be that person. But one of the things that I was just thinking about, I was like, oh, that's actually just Jesus. And sometimes I think that um, we can overcomplicate serving one another, and it has to be, like, big and extravagant. And I think there are big and extravagant ways to serve one another. But honestly, this passage makes it really simple in how we can love others by serving one another. You have to ask two questions of yourself, all right? Question number one, how has God gifted me? Or what has God given me, right? God has given, if you're a Christian, then God has given you some sort of gift some sort of gift, not just to hold on to, but to give away to others. And uh, one of the things that, um, that we can do is we, just, we ask ourselves, how has God gifted me? And what has he given me? And then how can I use that gift to bless others? And honestly, it's really simple. Then you just start doing it. You know? So if you have the gift of encouragement, when you go to small group, it's like, I do not come to small group to be served, but I come to serve. And so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm just going to encourage. I don't know how to do a lot of other things, I may not even know how to lead a Bible study or I feel like my questions aren't even that great or, you know, whatever insecurity that someone may have. But just use what God has given you to bless others. You don't know how far that can go to actually really serve somebody. All right, third way that we can love one another, it's to provoke one another. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Uh, Hebrews 10.24 says this. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And so you may ask, what in the world, how does that mean to, we're supposed to provoke one another? Well, the, um, the phrase spur one another on actually literally means provoke 
one another. And so what the passage is saying is, let us consider how we can provoke one another on to love and good deeds, how we can provoke one another on to follow Jesus. And so you may ask, why are we called to do that? That sounds really annoying. <laughs> and uh, actually, it kind of might be, and it might be actually good. But let's just, let's just be real for a second, okay? I stand up here, and I'm, and I'm talking to you guys. I, don't, I want you guys to know, sometimes I feel like people think just because they think that pastors or people who work for a church are like always on some sort of like spiritual high, you know, like I come to work and I'm just like, I can, man, I'm ready for the next prayer meeting. I can't wait for that meeting I'm going to have with Paul. You know, like Monday mornings, me and Paul get together and we do kind of like transformation goals that we want to see in our life. And I would be lying to you if I said every morning I was really excited to tell Paul all the ways that I failed that week <laughs> in, my, in my relationship with Jesus. But it's just true. Do you guys, I mean, do you know the experience? Like you just wake up and you're like, man, you know what I don't feel like doing today is like everything that I should. <laughs> And we know what I, like, do feel like doing, everything that I shouldn't do, <laughs> you know? It's like some days you just, like, this Jesus thing is just really hard. And honestly, they're not only days that are hard, but there's honestly seasons, and I've had seasons in my life where I've felt like throwing in the towel altogether, you know? It's just like, I can't say no to this temptation for, like, another day. It's just, like, too much. I just don't even want to do this thing anymore. Or maybe for you, this suffering is just too much. Like, life is too heavy right now, and honestly, it seems like Jesus isn't delivering. Or maybe you're struggling with, like, extreme depression, right? Like, you're, you're just, you're really wrestling with life, and you really feel like you can't get out from underneath the sadness that's just so heavy on you. And you're like, man, Jesus doesn't seem like he's delivering. Or maybe it's anxiety or stress. I don't know what it is for you, but what I do know is it's in those seasons of, of struggle, and it's in those seasons of dryness that I really need somebody to point me to Jesus. You know, like, I, 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 there's, there's so many days this characterizes me. It's like, I want to want Jesus more than I actually want him right now. And one of the ways that God ignites, I think, that passion for Jesus again in me is by Connor provoking me to follow Jesus. Um, all right. And so I want to close with this. What is the end goal of our unity? So we're, we're, um, we're a family. We need to learn to love one another. That's what it means to be a part of God's family. Um, but what's the end goal? Or in other words, why does, it, why does unity, we'll come back to the first question I asked, why does unity matter so much that Jesus prays it? Like, why does it matter so much that it's the one thing that Jesus prays for? And simply put, the end goal is that the world would know that Jesus is the one true Lord and that he's the one that can ultimately bring healing and unity to this world. So in the passage, Jesus says, I pray that they may have unity. And then he says, um, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And uh, in, in uh, Ephesians 1, 9 through 10, and we'll, well, this is the last verse we'll look at, I promise. Paul, Paul actually gives us the end result of the gospel. So if you think about it, like, at the end of the day, what is Jesus bringing this world to? Like, what is the Jesus project? And this is it. It says, he, that's God, it says, God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And then here it is. It's such a small phrase, but it, it's, it's powerful. It says, it's to bring unity. Think of what Jesus prays for. It's to bring unity to all things 
in heaven and on earth under Christ. There will actually, guys, I don't know if you know this, there will actually be a day. It's the day that Jesus returns where, where everything in creation, things in heaven, things on earth, will be brought in, uh, under Jesus, under the rule of Jesus, unity under Jesus. And so when we as God's children, think about it, when we love one another and when we unite under Jesus, we actually give the world a, t- a taste of what God is actually trying to do in the world. And then when we actually love one another by, and obey Jesus by doing that, we give the world a taste of the unity and love that they actually long for, right? Like God has put something in our hearts, a long for true love, a long for true unity. And when we as a, when we as a family get, like, love one another, we actually give the world a taste of what God is doing. And so I guess if I had a charge for you tonight, I, I would just want to encourage you to keep loving one another. It's really simple, but keep loving one another, uh, Jesus said that the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And um, you don't know, you don't know how loving one another, how God is going to use that to bring blessing to the world. And you don't know who God's going to bring into your family, into our family. By the way, we love one another. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for... Um, Jesus, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Jesus, I thank you so much that you came and you died and that you made a way for us to be in the family of God. And so, God, I love, a, I love being a part of my family here on earth, but I know that I'm a part of a family with many people in here, a family that will last forever. And so, God, I'm thankful for that. Um, I pray that you would help us to learn to love one another I'm praying that we would love those who um, we like. I'm praying that we would love those who it's a challenge to love. And I pray that we would give the world a taste of what it means to love. Amen.